This is Talking Ears. My name is Frank Warniger, and I, I feel like I've been saying this a lot recently, but this episode is a special one. Michael Santucci is something of a titan figure in the world of audiology, and I blame him lovingly for pioneering this subfield of music audiology. Myself and countless other audiologists know him as an inspiring mentor, as a friend, a lecturer, and an industry-wide thought leader. But the music community better knows him as the president of Sensophonics, which is one of the largest and most well-respected in-ear monitor companies in the world. And we'll be hearing a little bit more from producer Juan Vazquez during this episode, as he has studied and worked directly under Michael Santucci at Sensophonics. Michael was kind enough to give his time to answer these questions from Juan and I, and to help us understand how he, and really our industry, got to where we are today. We'll be hearing music in this episode by Juan Vasquez, Scott Hallam, and myself. Yeah, but when I started, like we're talking the late 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got hearing loss and tinnitus. I've been on the road for 20 years. Like that's some kind of badge of honor, right? And it was. Yep. It was this club of people that would commiserate their hearing injury. And that's okay because we're all on the road as road buddies. And that's what happens. And I'm like, but it doesn't have to happen. doesn't have it's to. It's not an inevitable part of the job. And it's nothing surely to brag about. Completely. <laughs> or feel good about. You've injured yourself and your acuity and performance abilities have degraded any way you look at it. Have you seen that decreasing with the people you're working with? That that attitude? Oh, now? Oh, gosh. Like I said, I got laughed at. The first, I had my own earplugs before the ER-15 with Knowles filters in them because I figured there's got to be a filter <laughs> that makes them less occluded because that's how I started. I was like, these suck. And that's, they wipe out the high end. So I started putting little Knowles 600 ohm filters in mm -hmm. thinking that'll, and it wasn't flat, but at least it let some high end in. Uh, and people, I went to a trade show and people that laughed. Oh, no, I've seen everything. Earplugs for musicians. Oh, I was a laughing stock <laughs> at the whole show. Nobody bought anything. And, you know, I should have walked away, but I didn't. Yeah. Because I knew it was a need and they were just being idiots. So the whole stigma is starting to go away, as you notice. People, musicians yeah. are concerned. People want to know about it. People want to hear about it. People will talk about it. When I first started, nobody would talk about it. Mm -hmm. Hearing loss, bands never discussed it with each other. Now they all know, oh, yeah, our guitar player's left ear is killing him. He's got all this tinnitus and hearing loss. They all know it, mm -hmm. and they commiserate for him. In the old days, it was like nobody mentioned anything. Yeah. Tinnitus, hearing loss, I don't know. We don't talk about it. It's almost like it's taboo. Well, it was then. Yeah, because I, I, I still think of it like athletes. Like, it's not taboo to talk about athletic in injuries, but for some reason, we're just like, well, we rely on these ears for our life, but let's, not, <laughs> let's just not discuss it. But, it. but it's not just a career. It's a pleasure activity. Oh, 100%. Right. So it's a different thing. Right. And so now you've got this pleasure activity. It's not just a job. Yeah. You're getting pleasure out of loud sound. I remind audiologists that, that this is not a jackhammer. Yeah. Nobody turns up their jackhammer for more enjoyment, but they will for music. <laughs> right. And why? Because it's emotional and loud sound makes your adrenaline fly and gives you mm -hmm. an instant rush. And people are at the show and then they feel everybody's en energy in the room. And it's like, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I get it. Oh, yeah. Fun. I seek it out. I love it. I mean, 100%. <laughs> hey, listen, I used to wear the Texas headphones back when I was a teenager. <laughs> you know, two speakers next... I used to call them Texas headphones, two big old speakers, and you just right to six inches from your ears, <laughs> crank it up. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, that's what it was like yeah. then, too. We wanted it to be loud, and that's how we got our, like you said, our adrenaline. That's how we got into that zone, you know? And so, did we wear hearing protection? Of course not. <laughs> that wasn't anything that we really talked about, but having some experience here at Sentaphonics, it's, I've definitely experienced a bit of a culture shift. Mm -hmm. Definitely this shifted. There's no question. 
but still lots of disinformation. One of the questions on my case history form that they fill out is, do you wear in-ear monitors? Mm -hmm. And then the next question is, do you consider them protective devices? And they all say yes. Mm -hmm. Everybody says yes. Or I'll even say, do you wear hearing protection? And they'll say, yes, I wear in-ear monitors. I go, oh, how loud do you turn them? What? How loud are you turning them? (laughs) (laughs) Not too loud, I don't think. I go, it's an earphone. Like if you turn it up really loud, it's going to hurt you. Just because the marketing people on the ear monitor world made you think that ear monitors mean safety. They don't. They mean potential safety mm-hmm. <laughs> where you didn't have that potential before, but you've got to turn it down. Is that something else that you're seeing a change in? Because I've seen a change just in my time in musicology. I've seen a change in the wrong direction where where every monitor company now wants to say that they're protective and now we finally have the information, published information that's saying, actually, no, no, no. Are you starting to see the, the backpedaling of that information or, or are people still pedaling? From the that? other manufacturers or yeah. from the patients? Uh, both, really. The patients are starting to read through the BS, right? Mm-hmm. The multi-driver thing, how many drivers are all starting to go, I don't get it. Okay, finally you don't get it, right? But uh, there's been newer attitudes. It's a slow change. Think about yeah. We're trying to change people's behavior on an enjoyment thing, right? Nobody's Mm -hmm. listening to loud music, but they wish they could just turn it down. (laughs) Now, these people love it, right? And so this is a pleasure activity like smoking cigarettes or bathing in the sun and burning your skin up. Sure. And those create death kind of weeds, hearing loss, you know, in early dementia and all those horrible things, bad. Mm -hmm. But smoking tobacco and burning yourself up in the sun, those kill you. Yeah. And it took how long to change attitude that smoking isn't the cool thing or baking in the sun with baby oil on like a piece of meat. <laughs> it's not a cool thing to do anymore, yeah. but it's still done. And it's been 50 years and that's life-threatening. So we're trying to talk about another pleasure activity to convince people it's no good for them. Yep. And it's going to take a while. It's not going to be fast. It's a slow change. I mean, I... uh I understand that that mentality. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I try to tell them. You can have it loud. You just can't have it loud for six hours. Chicago Symphony. Mm-hmm. We're doing sound levels and a lecture and earplugs for those that want it. And all the string players, especially violin and viola. Oh, thank God you're here. The horns and percussion are killing us. And then we do the test and 72% of them have hearing loss in their left ear from their violin. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, hate to tell you, but it's you, not them. And what is it? That F-hole gets over 100 dB. at triple fortissimo or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but your head's right on it. And back to the time factor, right? They Mm -hmm. play a lot longer. They have to practice eight hours a day, every day, or else somebody's taking their job. So it's a whole different set of of things. DJ's just the opposite, right? Loud sound for six hours, some of them. Completely. And, And Michael, we've talked, you and I, extensively, Um, about a lot of different parts of these factors. I don't think I've ever asked you specifically why you are interested and intrigued by musicians. Why do you care about musicians specifically versus just like everybody else's ears? Uh, So the music side, my dad had his own big band. My sisters played multiple instruments. Our whole house was full of music. I played, I took private trumpet lessons for seven years. I played in a symphony, all this stuff, right? So there was that music background. It's just part of your fiber. You guys both are musicians, so you get that. I'm not that great or I don't perform live or anything, but I had the background. I can read music. I can do all that. I can Mm -hmm. play an instrument. So I got a special thing. And his audiology kind of was like, I was looking for, I was in pre-med and I hated it. I wanted to do something to help people, and I took a speech course, and I, boy, did I hate that. Oh, my God, speech pathology. But they offered an audiology class, and I had to take two, and I took that one, and I was like, this is fascinating sound and how the ear works, and it just intrigued me. And so the music side of it just came because bands knew me and would come to me saying, our singer's going to quit. We just did our first album, and 
she's not going to do it because she's an actress and her ears are ringing and she's not going to lose her hearing for the band help us. And I go, well, have her put on earplugs. And they go, have you tried playing your horn with earplugs? No. So I put in these foam, you know, regular yellow foamies, arrow at the time, earplugs. And boy, did they suck. Yep. <laughs> so then I saw there was an opportunity to develop something that musicians don't want to lose their hearing. They just don't know any better. Yeah. They just think it's part of the job. And yeah we could do something. So I started trying to make my own filtered earplugs. That's all. And then Mead Kellyan, who's right up the street, found out about it. And he said, here, try these. And I had an opportunity to fit the couple of guys in the Pat Metheny group and a couple of people in the Chicago symphony. And they all loved them. Then I started writing about it and you become an expert right away. Cause you're the only one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for many years. It's a good position to be in. Marshall wrote about it a little bit, but Marshall was only working with symphonies. Right. And for the listeners, that's music audiologist and author Marshall Chasen, who is the director of auditory research at the musicians clinic in Canada. He might've had a grant or something to, to work with the national symphony orchestras and stuff. So he's about that, but I'm seeing DJs and rock stars and band directors and you name it, man, they're all climbing out of the woodwork and it just kept growing. Now, were you mostly seeing people who had already hurt themselves or were you seeing this kind of proactiveness that we were just talking about? It's mixed just yeah. like now. A lot of people saw others and go, Oh gosh, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, there was a lot of injury. I still see a lot of injury. Yeah. I get grown men my age crying, telling me that they play by most famous people you'd know. Mm -hmm. They play by muscle memory because they're hearing so friggin' bad that they, they have to play, can't hear enough. They go, I know I played enough of this song a million times. Yeah. All I need is a little bit for to key on pitch and rhythm and I'm good, but I can mm -hmm. never stretch it because I don't, I can't hear what I'm playing. Yeah. And where's the that's enjoyment in that, you know? Where's the enjoyment well, that's, in that? Night after that's night. when I lecture musicians. I go, what do you, don't you want to enjoy what you're doing? And and I go through the, I think they all think that age is a cause of hearing loss. Yeah. And I keep saying, not a cause. You see more. No, I'm going to lose it anyway. I said, says who? Mm -hmm. I said, I have an 86-year-old mother-in-law who hears fine. Mm -hmm. It's not age. Mm -hmm. It's and not then age. I go through the, the causes and I go, oh. So it's not necessary. They have to be hearing impaired to, as you get older. Mm -hmm. You can have normal hearing. That's something to shoot for mm -hmm. and keep enjoying playing. But, you know, it's all motivation. When I see patients here, man, it's about motivation. I spent 20 minutes educating about how hearing works. Mm -hmm. I just tell them, I go, hey, what was hearing for in humans? Not music or even speech. 400,000 years ago, survival. Right? It's your survival sense. And if you don't believe me, all the other senses think so too. Wait till you see somebody that has hearing loss, their vision kicks right in to help survival. You know, you're going to read lips, right? So everybody ignores everything else as long as survival is doing good. So this was the sense. Nobody was talking. It was to hear something very soft, very far away that could kill you from behind or any direction in a quiet world. Mm -hmm. And it sounds good. And I always say, don't you walk in the forest? Yeah, and you can hear a twig snap. And you go, wow, that's that bird way the heck over there. Wow. Well, that's it. That's how it's designed. And now we threw a loud on it. <laughs> and it's not meant for that. It wasn't designed for it. So you throw a bunch of loud stuff on it, and those cells get injured. And here's the consequences for that injury. So as good as it feels, there's no getting around it. You're not machoing yourself. You're not going to evolve in a lifetime to have stronger hair cells. Mm -hmm. They die and they get injured and there's no way around it but to turn things down or keep it lower. I'm loving the current research that you're you're actually helping create and fund and push in the industry now where we finally have this research that helps look at who's being protected with what kinds of earplugs, who's being protected with what kinds of inner monitors, what attenuation is, what people's activities and choices are when they use inner monitors. That's directly again not to blame you, but I'm going to blame you for progressing our <laughs> our field so much. Um, 
like actively funding these things and that's that's a uh that's a legacy right there that's an incredible legacy but nobody else is going to there's no money out there for it nobody's doing anything for it and there's a lot of information that we need to know and I'm no researcher I've got research stuff I've done but I'm not a researcher I'm not and I surely don't enjoy it I enjoy reading about the cool stuff that I'm involved with this <laughs> extended high frequency stuff with rush and we have shown again and again and again and again when i test and i've got the only audiometer in the world that tests from 9,000 to 18,000 and 1,000 hertz steps in pure sbl no waiting Mm. so it's kind of hard to to replicate some of that stuff but i've been collecting that data for 40 years Mm -hmm. and i can look at everybody's hearing up there and it's amazing how it all changes no matter what happens with the regular audiogram in the music industry, every decade it's getting worse. Yeah. I don't see anybody withstanding the high frequencies just because they maintain a flat audiogram at 10 dB, no notch. Those highs are still dropping. So I know there's got to be a vascular issue in there. There's something else besides loud sound or they're still getting enough injury. <clears throat> Maybe there's a different scale for super highs. You have to be at 40 dB instead of 85 for your low fence. No, I think that's, it's got to be true. It's got to be that there's a different scale. It's got to be that we have to look at music as a different input. Again, not a researcher, but I love, I love the fact that this is being progressed in such a positive way nowadays. It's lovely. Well, I, you know, it started with, I was, on the, for the donations and stuff, I was asked to be on the foundation board. And uh, when I got on it, they go, could you have musicians give us money, raise money from your musician? I knew that's why they invited me. I'm like... Yeah. Maybe. I said, what was the money go to? Well, whatever the board decides. And I said, well, what about research on musicians hearing? Well, that, you know, it's whatever the board decides. You can't decide. (laughs) And I said, well, but they're not donating to the Academy. They're donating to me. I'm asking for them to sign a guitar and I'm asking them to sign a guitar that I'm going to auction for money to research music and hearing loss. Mm -hmm. So if you want me not to do that, I won't. But if you want me to do that, then this got to be pinpointed for that. And they go, well, yeah, you can do that. And so that's what we've done. It's time for me to get the guitars out. because. But we're still doing the scholarships. We actually had to, uh, Lisa Vaughn and I had to, had to advertise it for the Academy to say, hey, hey, there's another scholarship available for 10 grand. Mm-hmm. Doesn't anybody want to study anything to do with musicians? How many guitars now have you, how many, because I know that you've done that for at least 15 years. Is that about it? More than that? I'm trying to, I can't even think of numbers. I I can't even remember all the people that signed. I had guitars signed by all of Ario Speedwagon and Sticks and one guitar. I had Bon Jovi, Mm -hmm. Aerosmith, Steve Winwood, Grateful Dead, Buddy Guy, Jewel, Sarah McLaughlin, uh, God, more more than that. I don't know. How, did you, how do you approach them Melon with Camp. that? Because you you were asking them. So when they said yes, yeah, I'll go ask. You can you can do this thing. So uh-huh. I go in there and I'd say, listen, you guys, you know what I'm doing. You're like, yes, we, we're very supportive of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I go, you, I'm trying to get some money for the foundation, and if you could sign a guitar, I'll auction it off and use the money for research. Cool, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure he gets a guitar. I never get the guitar right. They're not reaching in their collection and giving me a guitar. They aren't. They might, but they just kind of forget about it. And then one guy said, if you bring a guitar, they'll do it right there. Mm. They'll sign it right in front of you. And so I buy guitars at, you know, whatever online store I choose of my choosing. I'm not going to advertise anybody. But <laughs> I buy them and then I show up. Here's your guitar. Sign it. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say no. Yeah. Oh, that that so that makes what, a lot of sense. Because what I understood there is then it's a lot of musicians basically saying like, "Yes, I understand your your mission here is to advance this." And kind we want to support it. We believe yep. that other musicians want to be helped too, and we want them to mm-hmm. yes, whatever you can do. And and it's done so much good. And I love that finally now, because as far as I understand, it's been most of the last couple of years that we've really been seeing these papers coming out as the fruitful efforts of that. 
and I mean that it's a positive thing that we are now like getting this groundswell of, of researchers who are really excited about this, which is exciting. It really is. Yeah. Well, the other thing is we, you know, I mentor students here and I'm very selective because there's so many audiology students that just want to do the cool thing and work with musicians mm -hmm. and come here instead of whatever, but they really don't have that passion for protecting anybody. They just want the fun. Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. I'd probably be the same. Well, and speaking uh, of those students, we've got Juan here who so graciously has been giving his hours and hours of his time to help produce the show. And, uh, I mean, he, he's your prime example of like yeah, your, oh yeah. your lifeblood kind of coming, coming to be. I'm, I'm thinking that Dr. Heather Malley Barbone, <laughs> she spent a year as a student and then five years running the clinic here. She got to experience probably 10,000 musician appointments in her time here. And it allowed her, because she's such a genius, mm -hmm. to take it to the next level, which she's starting to do. And that's what I'm always hoping that both of you and all the other youngsters out there are going to take things to the next level, right? I got it this yeah. far. M Michael, I just have to say, and I've said this, I've said something like this to you before, so I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel uh, <laughs> uh, awkward in the moment, but you have a certain kind of mentorship where you can mentor anyone who you've, you've had a five-minute conversation with, and that mentorship is so so obvious by what you just said, which is you've been working hard for something. Somebody worked with me for five years and they're taking it to the next level. They're exceeding my expectations. That is so, I mean, it, it really hits me because I felt well, that's that. That's a dream, right? Yeah. And I felt that and I've only spent, you know, days in your presence, right? And I still feel that kind of mentorship <laughs> and I, I really appreciate uh, it so well, deeply. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, it was, you know but somebody... Still. I can't remember who, somebody famous, an inventor said, it's wonderful being the first to think of an idea that really changes people's <laughs> lives, but it'd be really bad if it's also you're the last. <laughs> because, right? And that, that's true. You know, I could have said, everybody go, Michael, you had this clinic and you've done great stuff. Too bad nobody else wanted to do it. And now it died when I did. You know, right. it's like, that's the worst. So the fact that you two are interested and Heather and Laura Sinnott and... Mm -hmm. And there's a whole bunch. And then there's the old school people like Don Flynn and Lisa Tannenbaum. Oh, and they've been doing this with me at a master's level for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And they're in the trenches. And they've been working musician audiology for yep. years. Lisa's seen so many people being yeah. on the West Coast. Yeah. Well, it's, it's inspiring. And it really, I mean, you've, you've raised us up to the point where we're now we want to we wanna move and, and run with it. I think of it, I'm using your words, I really think of it as trying to reach your level, but I will say run with it. <laughs> I'll try to run be generous with, with ourselves. That's right. Well, no, true, and that's what it is. Run with it, whatever direction it goes. And that's that's the hope. And I think that it's, I'm pretty confident that there's a group of you that are going to continue on in this path. Now, the other thing is, is the undereducation of audiology. And I know we've talked about this and mm -hmm. I watched some of Heather's uh, broadcasts with you guys and she's saying the same thing about music audiologists. And it's really important to be educated. And of course, I've run this gold circle class to try and get people, not even that work for me, just to get an idea. And that's been going on since 92, right? Yeah. And so there's over 120 people that have come to Chicago for that, but it was only six at a time. It was expensive, very expensive. And so I have this virtual gold circle that I've been working on for three years. <laughs> but, you know, in my busy life, it's kind of hard to find the free time. I'm there. It's done. It's being edited by Laura right now. Nice. And we're about ready to go. It's four and a half hours, and it's available to any audiologist that wants to learn what I do. It's a, and I always tell them, you can go right to the AAA guideline, and if you follow it, you're good. You're gold tells you what to do i'm going to show it tell you how to do it mm -hmm. <laughs> and what seems to work better in my experience and that's what this course is about it's not like it's anything you couldn't learn on your own if you did enough reading mm -hmm. but i'm going to nutshell it for people i'm so, really excited about that i had no idea that was coming i got a lot of people on a waiting list waiting for it yeah. so uh so it's going to be virtual uh the live class the original 
Gold Circle that you both have been yeah. to, and you know this more than anybody. You were one of the bands that you're one of the performers oh, at Salem right. when we did it there, that's right? right? We so, did, yeah. So we have live bands and all that stuff. And I think it was really a better experience. That's what everybody would tell me is learning it in class and then seeing it done live. Mm -hmm. They're wearing the belt pack. They got in-ears on. We have measuring equipment. I'm wearing in-ears. I see what they're hearing. I see how loud it is. And then it all starts coming together. And I get that. So what I'm going to do is offer that as an, uh, you don't have to be, you'll be certified by the virtual course. If you're really interested, I'll have live sessions here. Every couple of months, we'll invite 10 people if they want to come or 20 and I'll set it up and have a live band and they can watch everything being used that way. That's a great idea. Hybrid, I think. Hybrid's a great idea. Yeah. Well, and and uh, the live part of it really is eye-opening for people who've never like seen everything set up, seen everything plugged together, seen how the band has to actually deal with it in person it is so eye-opening and i've had a couple i had a, i had two audiologists in philadelphia area ask me if they can shadow with bands like oh can i come out and you know, shadow and see what you do with at a venue i'm like sure of course and then i call them the night that i got a call and said okay i'm going to the, the venue tonight and they're like oh well i can't go out and see patients at night I'm like well then don't <laughs> i guess you're not going to be working with musicians <laughs> yeah well Sorry. that is the thing right you have to want to go out to shows and you have to have that freedom to do so yeah i know the virtual thing is is something that has obviously emerged from the pandemic and it is a wonderful thing for musicians mm -hmm. because of the lack of people in our field that know enough to treat them correctly so yeah. so it's been a real godsend for people and i love that the, the the downside is is that you still have to see somebody to look in your ear to see if you have wax and to jam some putty in your head right i mean that's yeah, yeah and Sorry. Uh, so I don't want to get uh, too deep into like music audiology and clinical talk, but um, we published the guideline for, not guideline, the clinical consensus document for working with music industry professionals. I'm curious if you can talk more about what you just said about uh, ear mold impressions and best practice for obtaining ear mold impressions for musicians' products. So when I do ear impressions, I use this high viscosity, no guns, those little wormy watery guns that don't stretch your ear. Those are dental tools, right? To get right in those cracks on your teeth and gums that don't move. But you've got this moving ear canal and how somebody came up with the idea that bite block was the way to go based on Chester Pruszynski's one study on 60 hearing aid users in 1996. <coughs> they compared open to close yep. and open was better for a tight fit. Well, who does either of those on stage? I hope not. You're moving your mouth. You're even making drum faces. Even if you don't do vocals, you're making all these faces. Bass players are making their faces, right? Yeah. And it changes ear shape. So, you know, that's... And what you're referring to blood. there is that so many manufacturers, when they ask their... Uh, their Require it. Yeah, their clients to go... Bite block. Go get an impression. Here's the list on the list. Wear a bite block or, or have the impression done while you're wearing the bite block and i tell everybody that it's modern torture um so i don't do it um, <laughs> well there's no there's no proof at all that that is a better way of doing it and yeah. in fact nobody compared to moving jaw mm -hmm. which is what you do so i make wind instrument players play their instrument play mm -hmm. it but you sit here get your mouthpiece and start blowing mm -hmm. If you're playing a, a stringed instrument and you rest your chin heavily on your instrument, we'll put a book there, but it's going to change your ear shape. We mm -hmm. want to do that. Yeah. So the things fit well, but the bite block is kind of silly. Oh, 100%. And they all insist, and audiologists call me, don't you use a bite? Do you? Yes. X amount of company. You go, how many audiologists work at that company? None. I'm the only audiologist with an ear, ear monitor, earplug company. Nobody else does. But they're going to tell you, the doctor, the best way to take an ear impression for their product, even though they couldn't do it if their life depended on it. Yeah. Yep. Completely. Don't get it. Don't get it. But that's me. And I believe that. And you follow whatever you want on the manufacturer's <laughs> side. But uh, I don't know. And the whole give it to them. Don't, don't let them. You can't send it in. You give it to them and they take it. I'm like, and then they get the product and you never see if it fits, if yep. they put it in right. If it's leaking, nobody knows. It's it's take the audiologist out of the equation kind of situation, unfortunately. They, they'd love to. They, but they, that's been from the beginning. Yep. 
Yeah. And that was started by the first company I was in competition with. And he got pissed off because people were starting to get concerned about their hearing. And he couldn't tell them anything except big bass means lower volumes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not the big hole you have in it. <laughs> the fact that it only isolates 8 dB, that wouldn't cause him to turn it up. It's because it didn't have enough bass in it. Of course. Like, all right, whatever. <laughs> it's always about so, the bass. It's always about the bass. <laughs> just to piggyback off what Michael was saying, what he's taught me, the education aspect, and that's what I just go over, like you said, 20, 30 minutes, just education. And it's fascinating that when I talk to musicians, they're they're just in awe. And then they ask questions. You can see it, right? And they start going, oh, I spent 20 to 30 minutes telling them about how hearing works. Why does it get injured? Why do you have it? Why is it doing this stuff? What are the symptoms? And they go, oh, what about when this happens? And they start getting, and they they always say, I don't know if I want the test. Well, you paid for it. I bundle just because of that. People bundling or not bundling. I bundle. First office visit. I just want impressions. Well, you paid for a whole hearing test in an mm-hmm. hour of my education, but you just want me to shove putty in your head, then I can find you another audiologist. Cause I don't do that. And they don't like that either. <laughs> I thought you make in ears. I do. And I'll be glad to make them if somebody else shoves a putty. But now you're seeing me as a doctor. And as a doctor, I require you to do what my protocol. If you don't want to do it, I'm happy to send you to a doctor that doesn't want it, that will do what you want. And I'll make your product. Yeah. But as a doctor, I, I won't do that. Yeah. Sorry. I stole that from you. I bundle it all together. And, and I have yeah. never had somebody, when, after I told them, well, you already paid for the hearing test. I never had a single person go like, still don't want it. It, they go, oh yeah sure great <laughs> well and the other way i say it to them i go you're here to get hearing protection you care about your hearing you wouldn't be here if you didn't care about mm-hmm. your hearing right i said so you're willing especially for earplugs to take this huge compromise i don't care what the manufacturers tell you it's a compromise compared to no earplug you have to ear train and brain train to that new sound. And you're willing to do that because you care so much about your hearing, but you don't want to know if it's working. <laughs> don't you care if it's working? I go, what, what if it wasn't working? Wouldn't that be a real bummer if you took all that sacrifice and it, you were still losing hearing? What a bummer that would be. Oh, I didn't think about that. Right. So all I want to do, I wouldn't even tell you the results. I just, when you come in in two years or a year, I want to see what your hearing's like. And if it's getting worse, I'll say, by the way, you need a stronger protector. You need to wear it more often or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to see the results, but they, of course, all want to see them after you do the test. Of course they want to see it. What do you think that is? Do you think that's fear, fear. of bad results? Fear. Okay. Put I, your head in the sand. I don't want to know. You know how many people go, I don't want to know how bad it is. They go, mm-hmm. well, it's still bad. doesn't make it better just because you don't know about it. It still sucks. Your hearing still sucks. If you don't. <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> right. Like it doesn't apply to the rest of our life. And yet that's how people just want to think about their ears. But it does. So when you think some people, I don't want to get a cancer test. I don't want to yeah, know that's if I true. have cancer. That's true. Okay. That's choice. Yeah. It's not the brightest choice, but <laughs> it's still a choice. Do you think that one of the fear things is that you're going to then tell them, now you got to stop or now that you can't do this, right? Because we, we hear people say that or tell people that all the time or claim that they were told to stop. I tell them I'm here to prolong your career. Mm-hmm. Prolong, not end. Prolong. Mm-hmm. If you haven't hurt your hearing, I'm going to keep it from getting hurt. If you have hurt your hearing, I'm going to keep you from hurting it more. And I'm going to actually find ways to help you hear better without hurting your hearing and still be able to play. Mm-hmm. I'm saving your career. When I do the 3DME customizable electronic earplug for symphonies, I tell them, I'm here to make your career longer. Mm-hmm. Not here to end your career. You need to protect your hearing. And here's a device. I'll show you how to use it. Mm-hmm. And if you have hearing loss, we'll show you how to amplify with this analog product and correct it. Mm-hmm. We want to keep you on stage. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I let them know. It's here. I'm here to keep them from having to quit. That's such We've a had, good. yes, 
these doctors. Oh, my doctor told me to quit. I have horrible tinnitus, and he said, I better quit. And I said, well, gee, if so, if his hand started hurting and he was a surgeon, would you tell him to quit? You should quit, man. Don't, don't bother fixing the hand. Just quit being a surgeon. Your hand sucks. You know, it's like, it's a career. It's not like some hobby that you did in high school and you're, you're judging it that way. This person's whole life is based around music and hearing it and playing it. Yep. And you're telling him flippantly, oh, eh, quit. I did, I'd recommend quitting. Yeah. I, yeah. I would be so pissed if that was me. I would be pissed. Yeah. That's all you can do for me. I could have figured that one out. Thank you. <laughs> and back to your previous point. I mean, you mentioned it's not a hobby, right? Like maybe that maybe that doctor gave up piano lessons. So they're like, oh, you can just give up guitar or give up piano. Yeah. But, decided to become a surgeon like me. Yeah. <laughs> but as you mentioned earlier, these people whose music is their life and career, it's also their their fun. It's also their enjoyment. Yeah, it's also you know, their whole fiber is built around it. Yeah. And they hear differently than the rest of us. So certainly. Well, the rest of the non-musicians, right? I mean, Nina Krause's book, and I love Nina so much, but her, and just the ear monitor story, which I love so much. Yeah. It's my favorite book it really is. You know, she and I got together years ago because at Northwestern, she was running hearing and noise studies, right? Speech and noise studies. Mm-hmm and trying to figure out why some people do better than others with the same, pretty much the same loss and figuring maybe it's neurological. And she goes, I have four people. I knocked it out of the park and they're all in a symphony. Then I realized this is a brain activity. They're trying to hear their violin. They're trying to quiet the violin next to them and the percussion behind them and pick out some flute on the front. And they do this all day. So when they get into the restaurant and they have to pick out a voice out of the background noise, their brain's better at that Mm -hmm. and they do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But they only do better for babble. Put them in the pink noise or white noise and they do horrible. Mm-hmm. So when, as long as all the parts of your ears are getting stimulated like music, you can hear right through noise. But as soon as it becomes steady, say, you're like, they can't do it. It's so, mm-hmm. that to me is really crazy. It's wild. Oh, it's so interesting. So I was telling one, I, did I, I don't know if I talked about it. I just lectured the Mastering Engineering Association, you know, Mastering Engineers And those that don't know it, these are the people that a band sits down, they record their album, they have this great recording engineer, and it's ready to go, except they give that finished product that's ready to go off to the mastering guy who enhances it to make it even better. Mm -hmm. So they're golden ears people, right? These are the people that are very proud. And I'm lecturing this group, their first meeting, and and so the Grammy Awards people, the Recording Academy, Michael, come and lecture them, okay. So I'm looking at what makes a good mastering engineer. And it says pristine speakers and headphones, a quiet work environment, good interpretation of the musician's intention. And I'm like, oh, those are all important. What about hearing, though? Because if your hearing sucked, none of that stuff would work very well. And they all start going, oh, yeah, right. I didn't think of that. How many have had a hearing test this year? Nobody. I'm like, oh. It's so funny. I don't want to know. I go, why? Because you don't want to know that you can't do your job anymore, yeah. but you can fool yourself and everybody else. That's okay. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, because I think people want to think that their taste and their experience can can run them through a whole career, which in truth, it can, kind of. Because um, hearing loss doesn't stop a person from doing mastering. Hearing loss doesn't stop no. a person from mixing. No. But awareness right, of it. playing. Awareness of it is so important. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't understand the hearing thing. How many, when I asked, when's your last test, musicians and sound engineers, even more surprising, Mm -hmm. never, high school. I'm Mm -hmm. like, have you seen a dentist this year? Yes. Mm -hmm. Have you seen an eye doctor? Yeah. You know, you can get on stage without your vision and teeth and still do a show. They look at you like, oh, but not without your hearing. You won't be doing the show without your hearing. There's plenty of blind artists and toothless ones. I know a lot of them. I think that's something that I really took from you, Michael, was that even just awareness, helping them turn on that light switch, and then I can see it, and we both experience it. You know, in the clinic, and oh, oh, yeah, you see them just light up, and they both go, they go, oh wait, wow, right? Yeah. I never thought of that. That makes total sense, and it shifts their perspective on why they came in in the first place. For some people, it's like, oh, I just want to get 
the the thing in the ears because you know my bandmates have them or I was recommended to do this and then they go oh yes I do care about my and then it just creates this much more profound and special insight for themselves and I, I'm such a jerk sometimes <laughs> but I, I always say okay why'd you come in today why are you here today uh, I want some plugs oh why is that I'm in a loud band and. Uh, I don't want to lose my hearing. Finally, you got there. Thank you. Took you three statements, but you finally got there because you didn't come here because you want plugs. Nobody wants plugs. They suck. Even the good ones. <laughs> so you're here because you don't want to lose your hearing, right? Yeah, right. Okay, good. You admitted that. Thank you. <laughs> I make them say it. <laughs> say it. You hold them down. Say it. Face up against the audiometer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so good. Um. Michael, we've been asking uh, all my guests on this show a couple questions that it's I a love. Great show. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Um, great show. Thank you. I've been asking people these questions. You know the first one. You know it well in, in your heart. But most people who we ask it to, they've never heard this question before. But you know it as well as I do. I love asking people what their favorite sound is. And I was curious what your answer to that is when people ask you what your favorite sound is. You know, if you think about it a lot, it yeah. gets very complicated and you never come up with something. But when somebody sure. asked that that years ago, the first thing I thought of was Zach Wilde's guitar Ooh. that had this real chunky, mm-hmm. that real chunky guitar sound mm-hmm. in metal. That's my favorite sound. Sounds like a locomotive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just like a whole engine right there. It's got that low beef to it mm. it just i don't know i like that that's that's it that's the one um i love asking that question just because it, it shocks it shocks people to think like oh my god nobody's ever asked me that before like it, it's shocking to think like that we we care about so many other things in our lives and like we've never thought about what our favorite sound is and this is you know engineers and musicians. i think that started years ago at nhca yep. deanna meinke yeah. and, and laurie wells started that favorite sound thing right yeah. that's mine what's yours personally um yeah. my i my real go-to answer has always been my guitar amp almost all the way up uh the the crackle the crunch of it there's nothing like it and i know it's almost exactly the same sound that you just mentioned except i'm no <laughs> zach wild but boy oh boy the sound of the crunchy guitar amp just can't beat that right. just can't beat that's that. cool yeah i'm with you i like nature sounds too like calm nature sounds trees winds water so it's good yeah things that make you calm yeah calming sounds are good for meditation but Mm -hmm. that metal guitar sound (laughs) not meditation i know juan agrees with you (laughs) i can see juan doing air guitar in the corner right now for that My experiences, you know, I, I'm of the age where they didn't fly the PA. They just set boxes on the stage and piled them up, and the stage was only up to your waist or a little bit higher. So you were, you could get, if you ran to the front, you were getting boxes right in your head, right? And yep. I would go see Led Zeppelin and all these bands that were just super loud, mm-hmm. Black Sabbath and all these, and I'd be right in front. My clothes would move from the sounds and mm-hmm. just so loud. And I loved it. I had the Texas headphones in high school with the two big speakers next to it. I liked loud music a lot, but uh, I could be an audiologist and it's going, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> well, it's really the time. I, I don't cut back on yeah. the volume. I cut back on the exposure time. <laughs> exactly. You got to cut back on the exposure time, but it's got to be loud it. enough to enjoy it. Right. Well, this shirt that I wore today, because I had to lecture the 
uh, student audiology group at Institute here. Mm-hmm. It was Respect Your Ears. Yeah. And that wasn't our invention, although we put it on their shirts. It was a local club here in Chicago who had a fishbowl full of earplugs for free and a huge sign that said, Respect Your Ears. And I thought, that's not Respect Your Hearing, which is nerdy like audiologists, but musicians would get Respect Your Ears. Oh, yeah, my ears, right. Because yeah. they don't, you know. Hearing would be too technical. <laughs> Were you the person that I stole that phrase from? The whole thing about protecting your ears like you protect your instrument, you stick it in a case because you don't want to get dinged up. Is that your saying that I stole from? I think so. That was actually Dr. Lori Halverson. Ah. Was with me working with a band yeah. on site at a venue. And the management want everybody to get full hearing tests and ear monitors or plugs, whatever they'd want. Sure. But management was want to do this. So she took the bass player and he said to her, I'm not going to wear a hearing protection. You, know, you can do the hearing test and I'm interested in my hearing and everything, but I, I'm not wearing any hearing protection. Okay, what instrument do you play? He goes, bass. She goes, do you have a case for your bass? And he goes, well, yeah, I wouldn't. Why? He goes, well, I wouldn't want anything to happen to it. And then she goes, hmm. He goes, oh, I guess maybe I should get some earplugs. I mean, it was just so like immediate. Duh, how stupid am I, right? That's just so funny. <laughs> Yeah, that was very clever. Michael, have you ever had personally yourself any kind of ear scares or damage or worries about your ears? No, I, I, I definitely don't have good hearing. I have hearing loss. Okay. I've got a 4K notch. That's Juan tested it not that long ago, didn't you? It was just month yeah, ago. Like that, yeah. I think part of that is I experimented with a lot of things in my ears. Oh, right, with earphone development. And I wouldn't. I'd say a lot. They go before distortion yeah. and all this stuff. and. So I was the human guinea pig. I mean, when I first did probe mic measurements, there was no such thing as a probe tube. So I was taking the microphones and sticking them in my head with the electronics connected to them. Has that informed at all how you talk with musicians or how you talk with your patients? Has that bled into your your care? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everything everything you see, and as you guys, that's why I've been doing this 35 years, I've seen my students think about 30,000, 40,000 musicians here, right? It's a lot of people, but you learn. Yes, you you're all you all learn. You guys, I'm sure, have learned from dealing with patients. And you learn attitudes and you learn what works and what doesn't work. And But my ears, yeah, I've taken risks with my ears, absolutely. But to me, that makes you more human in your in your explanation to a patient. It's less from like, hey, me at this high tower, you better turn that stuff down, kids. Right. It makes you more relatable and more understanding of of their own exposure. The fact that you say, like, okay, I like the loud concert. The fact that you say, I like Zach Wilde's guitar, right? That I think that's a huge difference. And I might be overemphasizing, but it really does feel like no, that to me. But but that's why some people believe if you're a musician, you'll do better at musician audiology. I I don't know if I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know music and I can read it and all that stuff. I'm not a performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, anymore, but I, it helps, but I, I don't think that's necessary. It's not a prerequisite. I know a couple yeah. of great audiologists that have no idea what how to read music, and they do great with musicians. Mm-hmm. It's all about that, really. It's about the communication. Juan said it before. It's the communication with you and the audiologist and whether they buy into what you're selling them. Yeah. And I'm selling them hearing loss prevention, and I try to do it in a way that they they find it interesting and want to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. So, but I also get people that don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. I'm like, okay, curious. I'm pro choice, man. <laughs> Go ahead. Have fun. Hurt yourself. Yeah. And then here, and then get on a search engine and look at untreated hearing loss and early cognitive decline. Oh, jeez. Yeah. When I bring that one up, they go, especially older dudes, what? I go, yeah, well, your brain's always getting information. Even when you sleep, there's no ear lids, but now you're not getting it anymore. It's not coming through. Mm-hmm. So you start getting wonky, just scoop. You don't have to listen to me. Just just get any search engine. You'll find tons of articles. Mm-hmm. And they go, that makes total sense. They get kind of scared, you know? Yeah. You're right. I'm getting wonky. I write, right. You need to hear. It's an important part of your brain functioning. Yeah, there was just that recent update that... Um, uh, hearing loss is now considered the, the number one most important or most uh, influential, influential, modifiable uh, risk factor for Alzheimer's. Um, so treating hearing loss then can reduce that so drastically. Um, and that that really puts a fire under people's 
people's butts a little right. bit. Right. Right. Yeah. Pretty powerful yeah, stuff. You got to notify them. But I think, like I said, all these people that think, why don't they just turn it down? <laughs> I run the clinic, so I'm going to have this hybrid where they're going to have, if they want to come for a live session, we'll do that. But when they say that, in the old times, I'd say, drummers start playing, and they all have DB meters. Just give me a beat. Don't kill it. Boop, da, bop, da, boop. And they're going, that's close to 100 DB. I go, that's right. And now you're standing next to him, and you're the guitar player, and you know signal-to-noise ratio. What do you think he has to be? Yeah. 106. I go, there you go. Hello. I go, is it because they need it loud? They love it loud? They want to hurt them? No. They're trying to hear what they're playing, and drums make a lot of sound. And Michael, we're careful not to be commercial and product-driven in this show, but I need to ask you about a product that you made and put out with Sensophonics called the DB Check because it filled this void in music audiology where we are unable to monitor what stage musicians are actually exposing themselves to with their own in-ear monitors. And I'm curious if you would feel comfortable talking about the DB Check and possibly kind of what's coming up in the future. Well, I've got another DB check coming out yeah. finally. We're waiting on components. But, you know, I'm in line behind a few small companies for for microprocessors and chips oh. called Apple and Ford and stuff. So I'm so small, it actually works to my advantage. They want $10 million, and if they have like 200 left over, they sell it to the spot market. And they go, we only have 200. I'm like, sold! <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> so if I can get a couple thousand out there, that'd be great, oh, right? Awesome. Just as starters. And so I think that we have finally landed the chips and I'm expecting to have it ready cool. finally. And it's every year monitor. Well, I'm going to put, not every, but the five, six major brands mm-hmm. that are used on stages and three major headphones, studio headphones. Nice. And then I can always add more. But you can find out how loud your earphones are and then it converts that to minutes allowable in NIOSH and OSHA. Nice. So you got minutes. It tells you right there. You don't have to do any interpretation. They they pick out what ear monitor in the menu. They hit play, and then it reads out minutes when you're done, and it's pretty easy. And it's the one device that does that. It really is. And that's that's kind of a, an amazing thing. You know, there's, there's such a hole in the market because we ask people then to, you know, be careful about your levels. And then they're just blink, blink. Well, how do I know my levels? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this I one always device. tell my students in these classes, they say, everybody's saying your monitors are safe. Call the company up and ask them. Call five companies and say, mm-hmm. how do I use this safely? Yeah. And you know what they all said? Take a wild guess. <laughs> Don't turn them too loud. Don't oh, too thank loud. you. If I had owned that, thank you. Wow. Never <laughs> thought of that one. You know, it's like, that's all they can say. Yep. You don't turn them too loud, they'll be safe. Well, there's two factors, right? There's the idea that every musician, you know, that that study at Vanderbilt to me was so incredibly, and I know you've talked about it before, but you know, we I was involved in this. I supplied the the ear products and also the probe mic measurements, the ER7C, mm-hmm. to measure sound levels at the eardrum. And we told musicians, turn up floor monitors to what you like, and we'll measure it at your eardrum. And then put on these isolating in-ear monitors mm-hmm. with 34 dB average reduction. And I was all excited to show how everybody's going to show how ear monitors are safer. And 98 out of 100 people turned them exactly, <laughs> not even 1 dB different. Not even 1 dB, which is impossible for non-musicians. 100 trials, there was a 0.8 dB difference between wedge and ear. What does that tell you? Everybody turns them up just like the same as their floor monitor because that's what their brain got used to. Really simple. And then when we said turn it down, the better part was they can only turn their wedge down 1.8 dB singers. They couldn't even go down 2 dB from their preferred level, but they could turn their ears down 6 or 10 dB and they went, oh, wow, they sound good here. But they never took the time to turn it down to know. And now if they knew how soft they could make it or loud they can make it without hurting themselves, then at least you have choices to make. So that's the only way you're going to know is to have something measure that and tell you these are many minutes you have. Mm-hmm. 
before you risk injury. You know, yep. that's it. Because it's all about the choice, but you need to have the information to know that you have to make the choice. But the other yep. choice is based on isolation. It's not just choice. It's also if you want to turn it down and you're not getting isolation, then you got to turn it up. Yep. You want to, your main concern is playing. You're not going to turn it down and not hear what you're playing just so to save your hearing. You're going to take a risk of hearing loss before you risk looking like an idiot and not hearing what you're playing. I mean, musicians, I always say, their main concern is their performance. Ours is their hearing, but not theirs. Theirs is their performance. And if your technology or strategy got in the way, they're going to dump it. Yep. Yep. It's really simple. Completely. Because their their job depends on them doing the best that they can do, better than anybody else can do that night. You know, they're also standing in front of a bunch of people who are staring at them, and <laughs> you know they're being judged or whether these guys are good or not, whether you like it or not. That's you know you want to make sure you're not making a fool of yourself. Yeah. I get that. So yeah, it's powerful. It really is powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, you kind of asked the question that I was going to get to then, which was what's the thing that you're, that is like next on your plate that you're just like super excited about, like the next task that you have, the next talk or product or. Well, there's the gold circle course is coming out very shortly, Mm -hmm. which I will educate a bunch of audiologists on these, this stuff. Uh, The DB check is coming out shortly as well. Um, and, you know, we've got new products always developing in our lab for ear monitors or whatever. So some of those are in line. I won't talk about them just yet. Um, we just finished with our four-driver custom tour earphone for the 3DME, which took us a while to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. My big thing, what I would like to do, and I don't know if it's going to happen, I've got data on paper with people's names for full case histories, everything you can think of you'd want to ask a musician, mm-hmm. probably 30,000 of them. Yeah. Would I love to have that turned into a database where anybody could have access and look at the data and do studies mm-hmm. on this retrospectively from what I have? That would be my fantasy. That's so cool. To be able to, because it's like, what instrument? How long did you play it? Do you have tinnitus? All, mm-hmm. Everything that you can think of is there. And, you know, there's so many things that you could get out of that treasure trove. Mm-hmm. But I've got to get a bunch of students to take a HIPAA pledge and then to cross the people's names out. Because there's some famous people and I don't want them going, I just saw Beyonce's hearing test yeah. or something. No. <laughs> That's so, a good point. It's a good point. So you've got to get that all. So it's all got to be done and then transcribed. Now, Rush University here has been working with me for seven years mm-hmm on or yeah on this uh high frequency stuff and showing that the super highs actually lose hearing faster than the 4k notch it's the earlier predictor of of noise induced hearing loss and they've proven it again and again um so i've been working closely with them and they come over here and transcribe these students and they've been doing it for seven years and Mm -hmm. they've gotten through about seven (laughs) thousand A drop in the bucket. <laughs> so it's a drop, right? And so I'm like, uh, I would, so it would really, really re- require like a whole student organization. All of them sign up and we pay them or something and they just go ahead and start spending the time doing it. Yeah. So that would be a fantasy for me. <laughs> I like that fantasy. <laughs> Michael, do you consider yourself kind of an ideas person then uh, as far as like, you are you always coming up with these new ideas and, and just kind of hoping that, what you know uh what do they call it throwing spaghetti at the wall seeing what sticks um because so many yeah, stuff i stuck. think when i started off it was that way okay you know, what stuck and what went but no everything's based on solving problems i see the advantage i have as a manufacturer is i i see musicians and talk to them about what they don't like mm-hmm. about hearing protection in-ear monitors whatever it is then i design something that corrects it yeah. Oh, you want to take one out? I'm losing localization cues. Well, it's really bad. You're losing binaural summation. It's bad for your hearing. Let's put mics in it. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yeah, but these mics, you know, I have hearing loss. I wish I could change them. Okay, let's let them change the mics. And, you know, it's it's really based on that. I need more bass. Let's add another bass speaker into the mix, you mm-hmm. know, and that's, it's all kind of driven by what you need to make your performance better in a realm of hearing loss prevention, 
design, right? And that's kind of their whole idea is, yeah. is to give them what they want to hear and still keep them in the ballpark of not losing hearing. So I give them tools. Yeah. DB check, isolating ear monitors. We make them in rubber. I used to make them in plastic. Mm-hmm. Way back in the 90s, Grateful Dead was my first band. They had plastic. All those bands, Poison, Aerosmith, they all had plastic back then. I couldn't make them. And in 2000, 23 years ago, we started, 22 years ago, we started making them in silicone. And I realized it blocks a heck of a lot more. Yep. Yeah. Which signal-to-noise ratio then goes up, and then you can wear them comfortably and block. The scary part for me, I guess the other scary part is all the false advertising out there because there are so many products now and music industry has zero morals. Yeah. They'll lie through their teeth. It does everything. It's the loudest ear monitor on the market, this one company, I won't say, waving at the NAM show. And this audiologist is telling me this story and he went up to them and they go, well, I was more concerned about safety. And it's the safest too. It's the <laughs> safest and the loudest. What else would you like it to be? The best sounding, you know, it's like, and then you have, that's the best one. It's the safest and the best sounding. I <laughs> and mean, it makes Julian fries and sick. All these musicians loves their earplugs. I go, no musician loves earplugs. Yeah. A, number one, even the best earplug they don't love, they tolerate, right? Yep. So don't say they love them. Oh, I love these. Yeah. How much did you pay them? Yep. Because believe me, they don't love them. And then the ones that they're saying they love are so horrible, right? You saw Colleen Laprell's research yep. on all the over-the-counter earplugs and what they claim as flat. Mm-hmm. And the only one I saw that looked flat to me was the ER20. Yep. It's the only one. Yep. Some of them got close, but none of them were flat like that. Nope. And and it just goes back to what we've been saying for years. I love that article because it felt so validating. It was like, oh, right. Okay. We are on the right course, right? I mean, that that original ER earplug that came out, the original ER15, the original filter, that was a big game changer, as you said in the beginning, and the ability to offer something. But it's still a hard hat. You're still putting a hard hat on. And nobody is like, I love my hard hat. It feels comfortable. Right. You know, it's doing its doing its. You just don't want to get a head injury. Yeah. So you're willing to wear it. Exactly. Which was worse, a head injury or a hard hat? That's where you have to make the hearing, but yeah. Well, to all your musicians, it's like, get a hearing test. Mm-hmm. Get a damn hearing test, damn it. <laughs> they all come in, oh, I don't think I want the test. I go, really? Well, then let me find you somebody that will do, what? Aren't you an audiologist? Yes. But I'm not going to do, do this ear mold impression without a test. So find one that will. I'll even give you names from people that might do it. Mm-hmm. But you got to have your own morals and decide what's right for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that the same thing goes for musicians, goes for audiologists. They're underinformed and uninformed. I don't believe they don't give a crap about musicians mm-hmm. hearing. They just want 50 bucks for an ear impression. Yep. They just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. They've been told a bunch of stuff and they believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a company that says, oh, there's a valve in our ear monitor. It's a vent and it takes air pressure off your eardrum, which <laughs> which means the acoustic reflex doesn't doesn't act and then it doesn't make you turn up louder because when you get the acoustic reflex you're going to want to turn it up because it's like where'd that science come from again and then i have audiologists going what do you think of that i go i don't know you know you know what spl and psi one measures sound and the other one measures they're both pressure one's sound and one's tires like your errors in your tires you think there's this huge relationship in your ear canal that if you get rid of the one, it's going to help the other one. And you believe that? I'm like, come on. Man. Was that the one that said uh, just as loud, but with lower sound pressure? That was their, their advertisement. <laughs> oh, no, that one, that was years ago. It won Best in Show at the Summer NAM show. And it literally looked like somebody took a cushion and, you know, like, like it looks like foamy kind and just punch pressed it in these little earplugs. And the noise reduction rating was zero. And it, re- it reduces sound pressure, not sound, so you can hear. And I'm like, oh, well, then it's the pressure that's getting to you. 
<laughs> Scarier at one best yep. in show at a music show. So, oh, Michael, this is so much fun. Okay. Thanks for making the time for this. My pleasure. We could do this for hours. My pleasure, Frank. Really. Thanks, Michael. You are nothing short of inspiration. Love doing this. A mentor for, for Juan and I personally, but also obviously for the industry. So, thank you for, for being who you are. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, you guys, man, you're making me blush now. Thanks so much. Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode and hearing wellness in general. The theme music is by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. Additional production and editing assistance is by Juan Vasquez and Mary Kim. Thanks for listening. Thank you.